Deborah Burks comes out with a new book in which she describes just how often she lied to the American people. Nancy and Paul Pelosi are currently under investigation for insider trading when it comes to NVIDIA stock. And then we also discuss the redefinition of the word recession, what it means, and why the economy is definitely in one. Here on The Conservative Connection. Corn Pop was a bad dude. The Conservative Connection. Come on, man. So we start off with Dr. Burks, and Dr. Burks is just one of these people who has now become just as insufferable as Dr. Fauci, if not worse than Dr. Fauci. I mean, you, you guys need to understand. I know it's been a while, but we, we really do need a reminder. People stopped talking to their families. People lost their jobs. People couldn't get unemployment after losing their jobs. Some mothers couldn't take care of their babies. And people couldn't even go to funerals over this stuff. They were thrown out of diners. They were accosted by police officers, all while Dr. Burks knew that she and all these pharmaceutical companies were simply being snake oil salesmen. It, it really is ridiculous. But hey, don't take my word for it. You can listen to Dr. Burks herself. Clip one, go. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And I think we... Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We overplayed the vaccines and it made people then worry that it's not going to protect against severe disease and hospitalization. Overplayed the vaccines. Gee, who else said that uh, the vaccines were being overplayed and there was no evidence that they were effective. Who said that? Who was that? I'm just trying to trying to think. Oh yeah, it was me. Yeah, a year ago. Uh, you know what did they say? Oh, I was a conspiracy theorist. I was a nut job. I said they were being dishonest and moving numbers around. And the second you say something like that, oh, you're Alex Jones. You're a nut job. You're crazy. I'm still waiting for a huge line of people to come up and apologize to me and. You know, say, I'm sorry I called you a mass murderer. You know, you're not that bad. Nah. You know, it's funny. I saw a story recently where this uh, Muppet from Sesame Street, I think it was like Rosita from Sesame Street, and she didn't hug some kids because the person in the suit didn't didn't see the kids. You know, you uh, peripheral. You can only see so much in one of those things. I know. I've been in one. Um, and uh, Sesame Street uh, area of the little park got sued for like $25 million worth of emotional damage. 
where, where's where's my emotional damage money? Does that put me in the same camp? I mean, where, where's my emotional damage? I was called a serial killer. Where's my money? I want a yacht. Um, yeah, but people have been sued for far less. And these guys are the top paid government employees in the country. Probably make a crap ton of money off of their books. Where's where's my money? I want I want some money. But yeah, let's look at uh, Deborah Burks's book. Oh my gosh, the amount of times that this lady and Dr. Fauci have lied. It's like if I had if I had twenty bucks for every time I heard a lie out of their minds, I probably would be a millionaire. Um, so here's a direct quote from Dr. Burks: No sooner. Had we convinced the Trump administration to implement our version of a two-week shutdown, then I was trying to figure out how to extend it. 15 days. 15 days to slow the spread. Remember that? Yeah. So the second she got everybody to agree to that, she's already trying to figure out how to extend it. So first lie. Great. Right off the bat, you're going to lie to us. Just like Fauci when he said, oh, you guys don't need masks. He's like, well, I was I was lying. Or were you lying? That was the one time you sounded reasonable. You don't need masks when you're walking around 24-7. You remember that? Oh, man. I just, if we had only stuck to that. I know people will be like, well, you wore a mask when you were traveling around to D.C. Yeah, I was flying with like a half a plane full of people directly flying in from Beijing and Hong Kong. I think it's a little different when you've got a viral disease going around and you hear that people are being welded into their homes to die. And then half of those people from that country are going to be filling up 50% of your flight. Little, just a little concerned. <laughs> and I didn't know what else to do. So I, yeah, I grabbed one of those stupid little cloth masks. Not that I, I didn't think it was going to do much. I honestly didn't. I was like, maybe it'll help. So I put it on and did did my best. I thought maybe it could help. I was like, and people were like, well, should I wear one? I was like, yeah, probably. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I was thinking the thing was going to be like Ebola or something. You can imagine my shock when I went on that flight. Holy cow. But yeah, going back to Burks, this woman just lied about the whole thing. Again, like I said, just moving numbers around and uh, lying. So here's another direct quote where, again, they were just moving numbers around. So it turns out in her book, she explains that the COVID data that she had, she was directly lying and adding incorrect notes to get states to escalate their COVID protocols. So after the heavily edited documents were returned to me, this is a direct, a direct quote, by the way. Okay, so quote, after the heavily edited documents were returned to me, I'd reinsert what they had objected to but place it in those different locations. Our report writing routine soon became write, submit, revise, hide, resubmit, end of quote. And obviously there was a pickup halfway in the middle between our report. But now this woman is trying to sell, along with Fauci, Paxlovid. So Paxlovid is this new uh, pharmaceutical, it's the new snake oil they're trying to sell us. And here's the, here's the problem with uh, with that. Uh, one, we don't trust you guys. 
we, we can never trust you guys. Again, you have no authority to tell us anything of what to do, any recommendations. If you tell people to get something, they're probably going to do the opposite. I mean, every single cure that these people have come up with, it's, it's, it's never, it's never a cure. It's always some super expensive drug or some way that they can fund themselves. Like it's never actually something that's going to cure COVID. How do I know? Well, quadruple jabbed Fauci and quadruple jabbed triple boosted Biden. And like they've gotten all their shots. They've gotten all their boosters. And what ends up happening? Well, they got COVID. But not only did they get COVID. Once they took Paxlovid, which was supposed to be the cure-all for COVID, the new one, um, never mind all the other ones that we had, well, now they're supposed to get better. But what happens instead? They catch COVID again. They catch it a week later. (laughs) How about that? Yeah. So actually what's going on is they're taking the Paxlovid And it's so ineffective that they get it again. But Fauci says, no, 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 it was effective. It was effective. It kept me out of the hospital. Like you weren't in the hospital the first time, you idiot. (laughs) You just got to shrug your shoulders and laugh at this at this point. Just how many people got lied to. Makes me so mad. So many people lost their jobs. So many people lost their incomes and stuff. For what? I still have to remember what that super expensive drug that that was they were recommending. Oh, why isn't Fauci taking that? Why isn't he taking that? Because it doesn't work. And people catch on to the fact that it doesn't work, so they have to sell you something new like Paxlovid. I forget exactly what the drug was. Now it's escaping my mind, driving me crazy. But yeah, they got COVID. So literally, I think every single person Whoever said to go get that shot and that it was going to prevent you from COVID between Jen um, Psaki and Fauci and Biden, they, they all got COVID. They all got it. So at this point, just shut up, please. <laughs> I, I My sanity can only take so much of these people, I swear. But yeah, Paxlovid kept me out of the hospital. No, 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 it didn't. No, it didn't. You know, it's funny because like I was talking to a friend recently and I said to them, look, like I think they were going around talking about like the vaccines and how they were ineffective. I think he was actually apologizing to me if I'm correct, but I know a lot of people who got vaccinated and a lot of people who didn't get vaccinated. And let me just tell you guys, I've... When it comes to my vaccinated and unvaccinated friends, right? I meet a ton of people who are vaccinated who regret getting the shot or getting the booster or getting the second shot or getting a different booster or combining the shots or whatever the heck they were doing. I meet a lot of people who got vaccinated and regret it. I've never met a single person who remained unvaccinated who says I should have took that shot. Never. I've, I've never met anybody who is unvaccinated who says, I regret not taking the shot. Never happened. Just something to think about. Oh, and by the way, while we're talking about uh, adverse effects in these shots, let's just 
bring up this new little study from Israel. This is fun. Uh, Liz Wheeler actually broke this story, I think. But uh, now I want to go over just how they're trying to fact check it. But even if somebody does break a story, I think if it's interesting enough and I can provide my own little spin on it, I want to keep my audience informed and I, I want to spread the news around. So why not? New study in Israel finds that 37 men in a study, after having their sperm examined after the first two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, one of the most popular vaccines on the market, by the way, caused a fertility drop of 20%. It directly affected sperm count. It affected motility, et cetera, et cetera. This is without any boosters. So the boosters haven't been factored into this study. This is just the first two shots of the Pfizer vaccine. This is a peer-reviewed study. This isn't just some person off the street. This isn't just some random report or something you'd find on a, a subreddit. This, it's a peer-reviewed study, and it's slated for publication in the International Journal of Andrology. This article has undergone full peer review, full peer review. Repetitive measurements revealed 15.4% concentration decrease in sperm, leading to a 22.1% reduction in motile count compared to the unvaccinated group who were the control group, the unvaccinated subjects. Now, let's look further. Semen volume and sperm motility was dramatically reduced. So I was reading the AP because the AP has to fact check this um, because... I don't know if there's any people at this point who would ever take a new vaccine, um, not just a COVID vaccine, just a new vaccine that they decided to produce at this point. But they've got to calm down their, their vaccine base, the ones who are shaming everybody for not getting the shot, who have been awfully quiet lately. Um, and they have to do a fact check. So what do they say? Well, they can't say fully false because it's a fully peer-reviewed study. So they say, Partly false. Now, whenever you guys see partly false in any kind of uh, fact check, just assume that they're telling the truth. <laughs> partly false. It's like it's like mostly peaceful, you know. It's like fiery but mostly peaceful, right? You, you know, O.J. Simpson for that night until he strangled Nicole. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful until the last like what ten minutes. I'd say it's a mostly peaceful night. But yeah. So let's let's go. Most like partly false, not even mostly false, <laughs> which is what they usually do. They'll be like mostly false. Now 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 the the mostly is down to partly. Had to cut that down a little bit. So partly false. Now what do they say? Well, they say that the reason why sperm count is so low, why it's uh, why what, all the problems with uh, fertility, why fertility in and in totals down 20% or more. Well, it's just because people had a fever. They had a fever after the shot. That's completely normal. Fevers reduce fertility in men. It just happens. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that logic? Well, the results are three months after the injection. They're telling you that 
the male fertility that's being affected, by the way, we know female fertility is affected. We, we saw menstruation cycles and ovulation cycles and everything messed up from that. And that was a conspiracy theory. Now it's widely known public knowledge. But now in this study from Israel, they're trying to say, well, it's just a fever. Well, guys, the results are three months afterwards, three months after the injection. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think three-month fevers are normal. Not from my experience. <laughs> I'm, I'm a guy. I don't like going to the doctor. But let me just tell you that if I was sick for a quarter of the year, like the first quarter of the year, I think I might want to go get that checked out. But yeah, three-month fever, guys. Just completely normal to have a three-month fever. So not only is your sperm count and your your whole... <laughs> Not only is all your fertility down as a man and your your sperm is messed up now, but now you've got a three-month fever. That's that's their cover-up. That's their fact check. The, the reason why male fertility is down is just because you've got a three-month fever on top of it. And if you've got a three-month fever, it's completely normal to have male fertility problems. My gosh, these people crack me up. The excuses. So like... They, they think they're excusing it. What they're really doing is they're giving another symptom and another reason not to get it. So not only is like, <laughs> next thing you know, they're going to be like, well, it's completely normal to die of a fever. Oh, geez. You know, it's funny because I was reading all these articles and uh, so some of these things broke my heart. So there was an article recently about a 35-year-old lineman who just dropped dead. Like just out of nowhere, they couldn't tell you why. And I'm seeing like this sudden adult death syndrome keeps popping up. And uh, there was there was another study. Uh, well, it wasn't a study. There was another breaking news story. And it, it was written by Jim Hoft. And I think it was uh, the Gateway Pundit. And a lot of people will uh, like disregard the Gateway Pundit and say, oh, it's not true. You know, it, it's not as firm as the study that I just gave you. But the report initially was from a Facebook post from a, a worker of a hospital. And there were three doctors from the same hospital that suddenly died in the same week after hospitals mandated the fourth COVID shot. Three men all died. I'm looking at all these dudes, the picture of them. They all look like healthy dudes. And they, but like, except for the guy in the middle, they all look relatively young. I would say the guy on the left. And the guy on the right, um, with between these three photos, I would say they'd probably in their 30s. They couldn't be a, a day over 39, honestly. Uh, the guy in the middle, maybe 40s or 50s, but they all look relatively healthy. They all look like healthy dudes. So the news about these three doctors was first shared by an independent, independent journalist named Monique in a post that went viral. And according to Monique, a uh, concerned nurse with a copy of the memo that was sent out by the hospital's management. Um, I, I, th I can't, it doesn't sh show if it was about the three physicians. So th these three physicians were at Ca Canada's uh, Trillium Hospital Partners, uh, Missyaga uh, Hospital. And the causes of death are yet to be announced. They just happened the same exact week that the fourth COVID shot was being mandated for all the employees. So 
Three physicians died at the hospital. Um, the first memo was sent out on Monday. The second memo was sent out on Tuesday, and the third was sent out on Thursday. The cause of death wasn't shared in the memo, but how many times have three doctors died in a week, days after a hospital started administering a fourth shot to staff? Now, I'm not saying that if you get this shot, that uh, you're gonna you're gonna die. Um, I'm just saying, why would you take it at this point? Like after all we've seen and after all we've been through, like Dr. Burke said, it doesn't prevent infection. Well, if it doesn't prevent infection and you get infected, how can you expect it to then prevent transmission? So if it's, so if if it can't protect you from getting infected, it's definitely not going to protect anybody else from getting infected from you. And if it can't protect anybody else from getting infected from you or getting reinfected, then What's the point of it? And they'll say something to the effect of, well, it helps reduce symptoms and stuff in older people. I'm like, yeah, but you, you mandated it to the whole world and it didn't matter. You're, you were giving these shots out to six-month-olds. There were women who couldn't pick up their babies from the hospitals in New York after they were delivered and take them home unless they got their COVID vaccines. The amount of lunacy that has gone forth. And I remember you guys um, uh, sending me different stories about uh, they were scanning QR codes to make sure people were vaccinated. Well, uh, now in Sri Lanka, after ESG has completely ruined their country, and I'm going to get into that in a separate episode. There's just so much material there after all the climate change and everything else that people are talking about. Um, They are now using the coronavirus app and QR codes to give out daily amounts of gasoline now that there's no gas or fuel left in the country. You know, that could potentially come over here. We don't stop with this nonsense. These these QR code scanning things, it's insane. It's like, I don't know why anybody ever agreed to that. I certainly didn't. There's a reason why when this whole thing started with this whole 15 days to slow the spread thing, I told people, I'm like, no, don't let them lock you down. And they're like, well, it's just temporary. I'm like, nothing with the government is ever temporary. Try to think of one temporary program that the government installed ever. I mean, the uh, the whole bills passed by uh, George W. Bush when it came to like the Patriot Act and stuff, those were all supposed to be temporary. The whole, everything that we did with 9-11, you know, all those security Measures that of like eventually scanning phones with things like Edward Snowden stuff. That was supposed to be temporary. Crazy, crazy world we live in. But it just keeps getting more fascinating. I'm all here for it. You know, I know sometimes you guys say that I'm doom and gloom, but the truth is I'm really just trying to report the news. I'm just trying to tell you what's out there. And of course, we've got um, <laughs> this uh, recession that's among us. And... I I don't know. People are trying to say, well, it's not a recession. We've been defining a recession as two consecutive quarters of shrinking GDP or negative growth. Uh, We've been doing that for decades. It's not new. We've been doing it for a long time. So, and country is not in good shape, guys. It's not. I wish I could give you better news, but truth is of inflation, and I've said this many, many times, inflation means 
for the average Joe, for the average worker, for the people who are, aren't Bill Gates, um, inflation means you're going to work harder to pay more with money that buys you less. You're going to work harder to pay more with money that buys you less. That's the best way I can explain inflation to you of what it means for your wallet. Now, what's in your wallet? But yeah, here's, this, there's an important economic concept to understand. Okay, a, a study by the World Bank found that countries whose debt-to-GDP ratios exceed 77% for prolonged periods experience significant slowdowns in economic growth. Pointedly, every percentage point, every single percentage point of debt above this level costs countries 0.017 percentage points in economic growth. It adds up, guys. It adds up. It is a cascading effect. This phenomenon is even more pronounced in emerging markets where each additional percentage point of debt over 64% annually slows growth by 0.02%. The U.S. has had a debt to GDP over 77% since the first quarter of 2009. Okay, to put these figures into perspective, the U.S.'s highest debt-to-GDP ratio was previously 106% at the end of World War II in 1946. What is it now? It's 130%. Our debt-to-GDP ratio is 130%. After things get over 77%, things start to go downhill. It starts an inflationary environment, and it tends to cascade and get worse. Because the truth is, we're never going to stop spending. Spending is just inevitable. It happens in our market. You can't stop it. You can't stop these trillion-dollar bills from passing. They just pass. It's crazy. But it happens. And once we exceeded that in 2009, I have to say it's just eventually – the whole system is going to collapse. Now, the, the question is more just how long is it going to take the dollar um, to collapse from inflation? How long is it going to take before our assets just get to the point where we work day and night like dogs and we just can't seem to bring anything home? I, I mean, uh, th this question plagues me. You know, I'm still, still a young, healthy young buck, you know, in my 20s. But... I think about this stuff, and I just have to tell you, mathematically, if we do not change leadership, if we do not get somebody who's going to radically take us on the opposite course that we're on now, you and me and all of our friends and all of our family, we're all going to be working until we're 90, and then we're going to die. I, I, I wish there was a better way to put it, but simply... Similarly to how I describe inflation to you, again, if if the blue party, if the Democrats win in 2024, we're going to be not able to retire. I mean, I'll, I'll get into some more details later about uh, Social Security and everything else, and I'm going to go more into detail on this because it's just something that people need to be aware of that they're not aware of. And I'm going to spend a good deal of time talking about um, debt 
and the U.S. market. Um, this is this is something that's actually kind of in my wheelhouse. And uh, people always say, "Well, like how how do you get past it? Like, give me a solution. Don't just tell me all this doom and gloom stuff." And the solution is, you got to own hard assets. You got to take your money that you work hard for, and you got to put it into something that's going to appreciate over time. But it's got to be something solid. It's got to be something that works. So it's kind of ironic. We had forty uh, percent of all of our money was printed within the last two years. What appreciated forty percent? The housing market. So housing prices came up almost exactly forty percent as the money supply that was pumped into our market while the world was locked down. So it was a stagflationary environment. Went up forty percent. Isn't that uncanny? A home, I would say, is the ultimate asset. Something I'm striving to get. And I'm trying really hard. I really, really want that white picket fence. I really, really want a wife and kids. I really, really want this stuff. And uh, it's the American dream. It's uh, something you strive for. It's something you do your best to to try to get. And... Uh, at this point, I think I'd settle for just a house, something to call my own, a castle. I'm getting a little reminiscent now, but uh, I know everybody else is too, when you start thinking about your first home. And uh, for those of you who ever bought your first home, I I know that uh, not many people uh, I find uh, believe in love and first sight anymore, any of my single friends, but they, <laughs> some of them have experienced it when buying a home. Some of them have experienced it, just walking into that place and just being blown away by it. <laughs> I really hope that uh, I can get that one day. But guys, if you ever want to own a home, um, you're going to have to do some financial jujitsu to get there. I'm a guy who's pretty smart with money for the most part when it comes to my investing strategies and stuff, my biggest problem was always not going through with my own advice because I wanted to listen to other people. I learned that the hard way multiple times where I was right and I, I didn't take my own advice. But right now, it's getting harder and harder and harder to own hard assets. And it's only going to get more rough. It's going to get harder to own gold. It's going to get harder to own stocks. It's going to get harder to own Bitcoin. It's going to get harder to own a lot of things. And you know what? I, I know I'm not a gold guy. I'm not a solar guy, but uh, at least it's something. It's something that might appreciate over time. I don't think it'll appreciate as much as um, things like Google or Amazon or Shopify or Tesla, but you know, it's, it's out there. All right. We're going to go to a quick break, and I'm going to go right back to cracking numbers. So stay tuned. I've got a lot to get to, guys. Please, you're going to want to hear this. Stick around. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
wonder if you would recommend locking down schools if you had to do it all over again. Well, you know, again, it's uh, first of all, I didn't recommend locking anything down. You're, you, you're. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. We got him. And we're back. So we're talking a lot about what's going on in the U.S. market because uh, we're being run by idiots. But uh, I think that's been apparent for the last two years. You know, 15 days to slow the spread, six feet apart. I think in Britain it was actually like three or four feet apart. Uh, It's funny. They couldn't even get their lies straight. But uh, now we've got politicians saying, well, we need to pass these spending bills. And recently we saw a bill pass for – it was a credit for e-chips. Now, what's so significant about credits for e-chips here? Well, we had some insider trading going on with the Wolf of Wall Street, the talented woman who has a much better track record in the investing world than even Warren Buffett, and that is Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. So what exactly happened? Well, Nancy Pelosi got a hold that basically a credit was going to be given to all these um, e-chip companies in which we were going to be funding more research to get more chips like this, more electronic chips. And uh, she told her husband, Paul, and uh, Paul made uh, trades anywhere between a million to $5 million into NVIDIA. And uh, people ask me all this time, they're like, well, why why do they keep doing it? It's obviously against the law for them to just know this information and then make trades on it and stuff. I got to be honest, guys, uh, if I knew some information within the, the House and the Senate, uh, I would probably, I'd probably use it. But let, let's go beyond that for a second because they do some shady things that just kind of grind my gears a bit. It goes beyond just having knowledge and uh, sharing it goes a little bit past that. So if we actually look at this scandal, uh, usually what will happen with Pelosi, and the Pelosi's have a history of this, of pumping and dumping stocks. But so we see the trade comes just before Congress is set to pass a $54 billion chips uh, plus bill. It's not really a bill. It's more of a credit. And Nancy uh, Pelosi tells her husband, and he buys up to one to five million dollars worth of shares in Nvidia. Right, they use their knowledge, and they make sure something passes to get money. So, this is a crack in the system, and I, I need to explain something to you guys of why this is so important. And I'm going to do it by showing a past history of the Pelosi's and how how they've used this information. So in early 2008, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and her husband Paul made an overwhelmingly risky bet, a huge risky bet. On March 18th, um, the Pelosi's made the first of three purchases of Visa stock totaling between $1 million and $5 million. It's kind of funny. They, they like to do that in these kind of increments. Of course, they weren't as well established as they were now, but this wasn't just an ordinary wealthy person buying stocks, ladies and gentlemen. The Pelosi's didn't just purchase stocks. 
the Pelosi's in 2008 managed to get their hands on shares of what would become one of the most popular and lucrative initial public offerings of stock in American history, an IPO. And for those who don't know, uh, an IPO is the first offering made by a company prior to its going public. Visa had been privately held by a group of banks up until that year of 2008. The mere peasants like you and me would uh, have to wait until about March 19th when the stock would be publicly traded to get their shares. The Pelosi's financial disclosures show us that two of their purchases were made after the 19th, but one was made before. They listed all three purchases together on their disclosure statement, making it impossible to know just how many shares they purchased in the initial offering, probably so that people wouldn't uh, copy their trades. I don't know if you guys know this. There's actually an app that uh, just covers Paul Pelosi's trades. Um, for the average investor like you and me, uh, guys, getting access to this kind of an IPO, virtually impossible, virtually impossible. All of the Visa IPO shares were going to institutional investors or large mutual funds or pension funds. And MarketWatch and other news outlets reported this and said it was oversubscribed. Renaissance Capital declared that the offering to be the it was going to be the IPO of the year for Visa. So who got the shares? Well, only the most special customers, hand-picked investors, received the IPO shares at the opening price of $44.48. Hours later, after public trading began, stock price jumped to $65 a share. Again, like I said earlier, they had three purchases of Visa stock totaling between $1 million and $5 million. The Pelosi's made a 50% profit on their investment in only 48 hours. In only just two days, they made a 50% profit. Then they made another purchase, a third purchase on March 25th. On June 4th, 2008, they got a third purchase and Visa stock closed at $85 a share. What draws an even more curious eye is that this investment was potentially as much as half of their equity holdings. So why put all these millions of dollars into just one stock? Yeah, I mean, they're rich in real estate, but this, this couple's only um, ever committed more than $1 million of their assets to a largely publicly traded corporation, which was Apple Computer. And that was a huge risk, right? Or was it? Or was there something happening behind the scenes that uh, me and you and the average eye couldn't see? Well, interestingly enough, uh, Speaker of the House and her husband just happened to get those IPO shares in Visa barely two weeks after a threatening piece of legislation for Visa was introduced into the House of Representatives. John Conyers, uh, Chris Cannon of Utah, and Steve King of Iowa, among others, introduced the Credit Card Fair Fee Act 2008. The bill had 45 sponsors. It allowed retailers to renegotiate fees um, at a lower cost with Visa and other credit card companies. Retailers were arguing that American Express, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, they often set fees together like a collective gang groups, like within a cartel. Keep in mind, Visa does not issue credit cards or make loans. That's, that's the bank's job. Visa makes its money by licensing the Visa name through something called an interchange fee. Every time you use the card, the merchant be pays between uh, 1% to 3% in an interchange fee. So merchants argued all these companies should not be able to dictate 
all the fees and keep them so high. So the Credit Card Fair Fee Act would have amended antitrust laws so that um, it would require the companies to enter negotiations with merchants over their interchange fees. And if they could not agree on fees with the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission, they would be empowered to arbitrate. These fees are a huge source of revenue for Visa and other credit card companies and a constant thorn and pain in the butt of uh, merchants. In 2008, uh, the four companies took in about $48 billion worth of revenue or about $427 per household from interchange fees. Needless to say, Visa and others were adamantly opposed to this legislation. One would think that this legislation would appeal to Pelosi, right? I mean, that's great. She has been outspoken about antitrust problems posed by insurance oil and pharmaceutical companies and all these corporations, yada, yada, yada. She was very vocal about the need for controlling the interest rates of individual banks charged to use their cards, right, for their credit cards. National Retail Federation and National Grocers Association were strongly in favor of this bill. MapLife Foundation looked at the campaign contributors pushing for the bill on both sides and found that Pelosi received twice as many contributions from supporters of the bill than from opponents when it came to lobbying. So on top of that, the bill was popular with the public, not, not just uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, but the, the, the public. It's a bipartisan bill. One survey revealed that 77% of the voters favored passing this bill. Hugely popular bill. I mean, when do you get 77% of voters to agree on anything? In fact, the bill passed the Judiciary Committee on a 19 uh, uh, in favor, 16 opposed note with yeas from Dems, uh, yeas from 10 Dems and nine Republicans. So 19 in favor. Supporters of the bill really excited. It's passed. It's passing. It's passing the Judiciary Committee. This is good. So, and around the same time, a second bill on interchange fees was created. So not just one bill. Now we got two bills floating around. This was the Credit Card Interchange Fee Act of 2008. It did not go as far as the Credit Card Fair Fee Act, which was the first bill I was talking about. This bill was merely a call for transparency. It requires credit card firms to let consumers know, consumers, consumers, know how much they were paying in interchange fees. And again, Visa went nuts. They were saying it was a terrible bill and just screeching out the windows to oppose it. The second bill suffered the same fate as the first, never making it off the House floor. Despite that, these little bills, these little persevering bills, they're like the little engine that could, after being clobbered, were reintroduced. Conyers' bill, now called the Credit Card Fee Act of 2009, so a year later, has even more support than it originally did from Joe Barton of Texas, from people like Zoe Lofkin of California. Yet again, both were killed before making it off the House floor. To be sure, Speaker Pelosi did champion a credit card reform bill, one that did become a law, and she focused on that, but it focused on interest rates charged by the banks. The Credit Card Reform Act passed, but conveniently didn't affect Visa, only its client banks. Interchange fees were not touched, though the bill contained a vague clause stating that the issue should be, quote unquote, studied. So all that gets swept under the rug. And surprise, surprise, Visa stock goes up, soars up, <laughs> having squashed legislative action on those 
fees bills uh, for more than two years, Speaker Pelosi and her husband saw their shares in Visa stock soar up 203% in two years from where they began while the whole stock market was down 15% during the same period. Cronyism in a nutshell. Congress eventually deals with the credit card uh, fees, but Pelosi doesn't really have much to do with it. Corporate interests people often think are advanced in terms of some kind of campaign contributions or lobbyists. But uh, a while back, they discovered there's a far more simple way to advance corporate interests. We just help the politicians get rich. Visa had their Pelosi buddies in a powerful place of interest and they reward them with an IPO. And they crush legislation that would hurt Visa, and everybody gets their own Scrooge McDuck pool full of gold coins. If you look at the Pelosi's track record on IPOs, it's actually pretty impressive. Usually they'll buy and sell within a few days, kind of like NVIDIA. Uh, but in 1993, they bought IPO shares in Gupta. It's a high-tech company, and after the price soared about 88%, they sold it the next day. Um, they did the same thing when they were in IPOs involving Netscape and UUNet, um, both of which doubled in value the same day within a 24-hour period. They gained access to other oversubscribed IPOs, including those of Act Networks, o Opal, Remedy Corporate, Legato Systems. And uh, after immense profit, they sold all of them, usually within a month or two. Uh, Pelosi's often obscure dates on which they buy the stocks to try to confuse people trying to copy their trades. Uh, in December 1999, for example, they bought between $250,000 dollars $500,000 worth of stock in a high-tech company called On Display. But yeah, brief, brief history of insider trading with the Pelosi's. And uh, funny enough, uh, fun fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi actually came from a crime family. Um, so... She has a little bit of experience with uh, moving money around. Let's just say that. I hope they don't get whacked. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the problem with insider trading is like uh, the fees for it usually cover about mm, maybe like $200, not much. Um, so you can imagine if somebody's going to make 205% um, off their initial investment within two years and uh, they've got $5 million uh, riding on it, 200 bucks, probably not going to dissuade you from making that kind of a trade. But this is a really big crack in our system in which certain companies that want to advance can simply bribe the politicians to skip the whole lobbying procedure. Let's just skip that whole process. You know, Of course, we never went over that in Schoolhouse Rock, the whole lobbying procedure. But now, we don't need to go through the lobby procedure. We, we can just make Paul Pelosi rich. And uh, if we do that, he's just going to crush all of the bills that would show that we're doing anything shady and uh, it's going to crush our competition and our market value is going to soar. And that's cronyism in a nutshell. The corporations get in bed with the government in order to advance their own interests. And uh, there's not really a lot that we can do to fight it other than maybe call it out. I mean, now... Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi are under uh, so so much uh, scrutiny from this because just everybody's hurting after this. And but people already knew this. I mean, with the snake oil salesmen of Pfizer and all these other people, it was only a matter of time before people started to wake up and realize just how the system works to transfer wealth. It's kind of fascinating.
But anyway, now we got to get back to the markets. I, I wanted to focus on that for just a few minutes because I feel like uh, insider trading doesn't really get delved into enough. And I really do believe that it's a really big flaw in the system where corporations can do that, skip the whole lobbying procedure, and then just directly impact legislation that happens in the government. It's uh, it's something that we need to pay attention to, and it's something you guys need to be aware of. But I hope you like my little spiel on that. I did do a lot of research for that. And now to back to more research and uh, other things I've been studying. So now we got to go uh, back to the markets. So let's go back into the markets. Man, I've got uh, so much material here. I might just do another show. Um, so now we're going past this and we're going back into U.S. debt to GDP. So we already talked about how when it exceeds over 77%, we start to experience problems. And now we're facing 130% debt to GDP ratio. And I've said it before, you know, you're going to work harder to pay more with money that buys you less. And many people will say, well, then uh, what's the solution? Um, we're not the Fed. We don't own the money printer. What are we supposed to do? Again, you got to own hard assets. When I was talking about Google, you know, you, you guys... Um, I, I've changed my investment strategy from sitting on the sidelines. I'm starting to deploy some of my cash that was sitting on the side. And again, I don't have much, but I'm going to deploy what I have. Historical valuations of uh, things like Google were trading at a PE ratio of 18 at over a decade low with growth, growth rates that are just faster than they were 10 years ago. Like some of these stock valuations make no sense. Amazon stock took a huge number of hits, and yet they had one of the best prime days they've ever had. Um, things that are really beaten down. Um, bought a little Solana yesterday and it was up 10% today. Um, now, granted, my trading strategies are not your own and I'm not going to act like every single trade I made has ever been profitable immediately. Um, and I never make a mistake. I've obviously made mistakes. But uh, yeah, it's it's important to just do your own research and look into things. And I know people are like, oh, you're in risky names and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, I own three cryptos. Okay. I own Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana. Pretty much everything else is a scam and I don't really care because, you know, yeah, are there some of the things out there that are going to do well? Yeah. But a lot of things like hacks and Algorand, they're, they're just scams. And I know I, people get mad at me when I say that, but I, I was like, okay, just look at the team behind Algorand, okay? Richard Hart is not even allowed in the United States, and that's not even his real name. It's a scam, okay? Uh, but again, you know, my strategy is not your strategy. You know, I've been over how I've lost money in the past. You know, when I was a teenager, I was considering buying Bitcoin, but this smart intellectual guy named Peter Schiff, uh, I listened to a debate on him and he talked me out of it. Uh, I was going to buy some Bitcoin. And if I had bought some, instead of buying that Blu-ray of Toy Story 3, I'd be a millionaire right now. Um, when I wanted to go in on GameStop, when it was about $2 a share, I had a friend talk me out of that. And uh, again, not his fault. I listened to him. His reasoning wasn't even that terrible. But uh, yeah, I wanted to own a couple thousand shares. I would have had 500 grand. And I even had a tip off from Ethereum when it was about $80. Uh, I, I went in a bit on that, made a little bit of money on that, but not as much as I could have made. But just to show you, like, I would hate to be that guy for you. So don't let me dictate your investment strategies. The crypto world is actually a very good indicator of just how over leveraged we are in the market. And uh yeah, the, all those three things that happened to me, three very hard lessons of times that I could have been Bruce Wayne had I played my cards right. And uh, 
I had the cards in my hand and I gave them up because I thought somebody was holding something better and they weren't. But yeah, I don't want to dictate your guys's, your guys's, um, investment strategies, but I'm just going to warn you, if you're going to be in crypto like me, you got to have your tap dancing shoes ready. I got out of Celsius, um, right before the whole collapse of the whole system. So like I saw some smoke, tried to get my friends out, said there's fire and, uh, Got my all my assets out a couple weeks before that whole system. For those of you who don't know, it's uh, Celsius was like a, an exchange where you could um, gain passive income, and you know, so far it was working great. And then uh, I just started to look at exactly where their money was, and I noticed they were a little bit more over leveraged than I was comfortable with. So I took all my money out and put it into FTX, which is a safe exchange. If you guys are looking for safe exchanges, I would say Robinhood because it's insured. I know people don't like Robinhood and I didn't like Robinhood either, but it's it's better. And then you've got things like FTX and you've also got Strike. Um, and Strike is great because you don't pay any fees for it. And it's it's pretty secure. I don't, I don't see a lot of people get hacked on Strike. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say those are the three. But back to the overall markets. So the feds keep hiking the rates. The fed funds rate cannot, it cannot go beyond a rate of 3.25 to 3.5%. I know you guys have been seeing these hikes of 75 basis points, 75 basis points, 100 basis points. If they go to 3.25% to 3.5% at a fed funds rate, it's going to just, it's going to be financial Armageddon. We cannot... We cannot have another 75 basis point hike. That was the last one we will see for a while if uh, they want the economy to still be standing. So they're 75 basis points away from that level. So some people are probably wondering, like, why did the market rally? Well, because people weren't expecting that um, the Fed was going to pivot so soon. It was going to be 100 basis points. It turns out to be 75 basis points. And most people were expecting the Fed to pivot sometime in September, not at the end of July. So the money printers, um, they're moving. Yeah, they're still moving. But uh, we've got so much credit in the system. We've got so much debt personally, not just government debt, but personal debt. And um, people are going to credit cards right now during a recession to pay for their goods. So let's go to uh, another clip here. I think this is, I think this is clip three. Uh, we're going to go to clip three, and this is Cream Jean Pierre being grilled by Peter Ducey talking about whether or not we're in a recession, how they changed the definition of recession. So clip three, go. If things are going so great, though, then why is it the White House officials are trying to redefine? Recession. No, we're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. That is not the definition. Brian Deese said in 2008, of course, economists have a technical definition, which is of a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. I can tell and you yesterday this. Yesterday, said mm -hmm. two, two negative quarters of GDP growth 
is not the technical definition of a recession. It is what not. Changed? It is not. Why did he say that it, it was? It is not. I can, I can speak to, I can speak to you to what he said yesterday in front of all of you, which is the last thing that you just repeated. All right. So Peter, I love Peter Ducey, man. He always has that hard heading question. So a recession has been defined for decades as two consecutive quarters of negatively shrinking growth. That is, if you're in the negative in GDP for more than, for at least two quarters consecutively, you're in a recession. And uh, I saw Babylon B saying, um, these are some of the new words that well, the left is defined. Recession is recovery. Hispanics are breakfast tacos. Horse reins are whips of death. Inflation is a uh, savings of two cents. Murder is health care. Handcuffed is not <laughs> handcuffed. Um, and truth is misinformation. Pretty much. Pretty much, guys. It, it is just funny because they're going to deny that we're in a recession. And, and the, the reason why they're going to deny it is be simply because they don't have a plan. They don't have a plan to get out of it. They're just riding by their coattails now at this point. They're just trying to hold on to that horse as it's bucking and kicking and trying to knock them off. But it's going to knock them off and everybody's going to see it plain as day. And they're going to be like, no, I didn't get off. I didn't get knocked off. No, yeah, you did. Yeah, it's a recession. Okay, we feel it in our wallets. We see it when we go to the gas pump. We see it when we pay for groceries. We see it when we travel. We see it when we go outside and we realize that we can't uh, afford things that we used to afford. Just the way it is. <laughs> but yeah, we're definitely in a recession. And uh, the CPR numbers that they have are not accurate whatsoever. I, you know, I think they're saying now we're at 8% inflation. It's a lot higher than that. Um, the CPI numbers are, are fake. Same thing with the unemployment numbers. The unemployment numbers are fake. 3.5 million people left the workforce. Okay. It's not as the unemployment level is not like a low, like two or 3%. It's not what it is. Okay. It's a lot higher than that. A lot of people got sick of the workforce and just left. You got people that aren't working. And in a stagflationary environment where, again, we printed 40% of all the money that we've had ever in the United States history in the last two years, we have way too much money chasing way too few goods. Now, the money printers in China are also trying to print themselves to uh, safety, bailing out Evergrande and all the property developers. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, China's market, they have um, – when you – when when you look at just how big the Chinese real estate market is, if you were to take just the value of the Chinese real estate market alone, it is significantly larger than the entire United States stock market value. So Apple, Amazon, Google, Tesla, Shopify, Square, everything, combine everything all together, Microsoft, take every single American stock in existence, combine the value, China's real estate market is more than that. And uh, another recent thing that China's done, because they understand the importance of homes, is uh, China's deployed about $6.1 billion into the market to buy up uh, American homes. So one of the interesting things that I discovered is China is actually, they've flooded the American housing market, and they're the top foreign buyer of U.S. housing. And from April 2021 to March 2022, it's up 30% of the 
of what they purchased from the prior year. So they're experiencing that and they're buying up our homes in the United States, making it even harder for people who are American citizens trying to buy now. And uh, it's kind of funny because BlackRock and all these institutions, you know, like they keep buying up all these homes and they basically outbid the taxpayer with the taxpayer's own money because they own the money printer. So they print the money, the taxpayer comes out of his pocket, then they outbid the taxpayer with the taxpayer's own money. Fun, fun how this works. Um, but yeah, some people ask me sometimes, they're like, well, if we're going to strengthen the currency and if things are going down so much, like why don't we just print a bunch of money and buy Bitcoin as a reserve? Well, if we did that, it would just completely collapse and take away all the power of the U.S. dollar. All the value would just be obliterated. I will say uh, in the market, I will say uh, Bitcoin looks pretty attractive, 24K. I know it was at 17K. I got a little bit of it then. I'm glad I did. But I'd say it's a better valuation of doubling than uh, like Tesla. I mean, Tesla, chances of Bitcoin going from 24K to 50K are a lot higher than Tesla going to 1600 or 1700 to share by Christmas. But not saying it's, uh, either one is going to do that. But yeah. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack. The Fed's boxed in. They, they have a diminishing tax base. They have diminishing tax revenue and they have soaring public debt. So the national debt is about $30.5 trillion plus half a trillion dollars servicing. Our total unfunded liabilities are almost $171 trillion, and that is 5.64 times our current debt. So the total unfunded liabilities are like more than five and a half times our current debt. Total unfunded liabilities include things like Social Security and Medicare promises, and uh, they're owed, but they're unfunded. Again, nearly six times the national debt. So if you are between the ages of 20 to 35 and you're hoping for Social Security or Medicare benefits for 30 to 35 years down the line, it's not going to happen. I'm telling you this. It's a, it's a mathematical certainty that you will not have what you need if you are relying on these institutions unless there is a massive change and massive reset. I don't want to say great reset because I'm not in favor of what they're trying to do. Um, that would shake the whole system. And uh, it, the whole Social Security, Medicare system may be completely unfunded within the next 10 to 15 years. We don't know. But uh, here's from Truth in Accounting as a source. There's 350 million Americans. Uh, each taxpayer owes about $919,000. So almost every taxpayer owes about a million dollars per citizen if we were going to split that up. The truth is that the national debt is more like 142 trillion, but if you add it to the unfunded plus the published debt, it's more like 172 trillion dollars. The actual debt profile over the last 30 years, the only year in that 30-year time span, um, in the year 2000, I think it was the end of the the Clinton term uh, when he lowered taxes. Um, it was the only year where um, debt was lower. Uh, let's let's look at the added debt. So. In January 2020, the fiscal year, we added $4.5 trillion in 2021. It was about $2 trillion in 2021. 2020, $4.5 trillion, locked down everything else. 2021, $2 trillion. So far this year, and I this is a statistic from a couple months ago, only about halfway through the year, we have added more than $0.8 trillion from the last numbers I saw, and that was two months ago at least. 
the U.S. budget deficit, aka our spending less taxes, um, is six point two trillion dollars, and our income receipt from that is four point two trillion dollars. That's a two trillion dollar gap between what we spend and what we bring in. It's roughly seventy-five million people who pay taxes. You'd have to pull in an extra thirty thousand dollars per taxpayer just to cover the deficit for this year. The market's lowball rose-colored glasses like sing-songy estimate is that our deficit will be $1 trillion this year. But you know what? Most of our tax money is made by, guess what? Capital gains and asset increases. So when the market gets flogged the way it has for this year, what does that mean? Well, it means that tax revenues are going to suck. Throwing out some big numbers here. Let me give you guys a visual representation of what a trillion dollars is. Because I'm just saying 100 trillion, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like you can't visualize that. Let me just tell you, if you started, this is mathematically true. If you started spending a million dollars every single day since Jesus Christ was born, you will still not have spent a trillion dollars. A million seconds is about 11 and a half days. A billion seconds is about 32 years. A trillion seconds is about 32,000 years. A trillion is a big number, guys. Okay, I'm just trying to help you visualize that. Let's go with another example. Like a a bundle of like $100 bills, right? It's equivalent to about $10,000. That could easily fit in the average man's pocket. I say man, okay? Not skinny jeans, hipsters, they don't count. $1 million, right? That will probably fit in a small shopping bag. A billion dollars probably occupy like a small room in your house. Maybe your little brother's bedroom, he used to complain, was smaller than yours. I'm looking at you, Alexander. Um, That would be completely filled with $100 bills. To get a billion, all right? Now, Now we move to a trillion. A trillion is a thousand times bigger than a billion. It would therefore probably take up an entire football field full of $100 bills. Double that. And that's the deficit for this year. That's the deficit for just this year. Unfathomable amounts of money printing into our economy. And again, 40% of all dollars in circulation since the beginning of the country, since the founding were printed in the last two years while the world economy was locked down by progressive world leaders creating a perfect environment for too much money chasing too few goods. And speaking of goods, we're importing more goods than we are exporting. So we need a strong dollar to make imports cheaper to put a dent in this trade imbalance. But here's the catch 22. If we do that, then we need to increase rates, which increases problems where we cripple our GDP. So if we increase rates, we cripple our GDP. The purchase of domestic goods and services increases GDP because it increases domestic production. So so does the purchasing of imported goods. Um, no, sorry. The, it's the opposite. I'm getting lost in my head here. All these numbers, man. But um, somebody, somebody was asking like, so does the purchasing of imported goods have a direct impact on GDP? You can argue that it doesn't, but 
it does have a direct impact on where people are buying, which does affect our market. If people buy stuff outside the U.S., they're not going to buy stuff made in the U.S. Not a hard concept. Donald Trump understood this. He figured it out. He's like, okay, we're going to import tariffs and we're going to go into some trading wars with China. And we were winning, by the way, before the whole lockdown thing. Um, and we we're very good at this, increasing production within the United States and making other people buy our products. Um, we were from 2016 to 2019. But even overlooking, let's just overlook the whole government debt and look at private debt. We are a heavily leveraged market, heavily levered market. The government debt to GDP is 130%, but the private debt to GDP is 370%. We need GDP to grow or we will spin into a debt crisis like nobody has ever seen. U.S. economy is highly levered in our private and national markets. Tightening rates beyond a certain amount would blow up a ton of companies that are highly levered, unlike you know Tesla um, and the government. Um, the government will also have to print more money to pay the increased debt service burden. So, in an already negative growing economy. If we go too hard on these basis points hikes, we could potentially screw up the whole market. There's a lot that goes into GDP, supply chains, shipping containers, war, a lot of things, right? So people like Jerome Powell can slow this down. They have a choice. They slow it down or um, smash private debt companies, tons of bankruptcies, government servicing debt, and costs will go through the roof. They will have to service so that things will just inevitably get worse. So how do they get out? Well, they print more money. They print more money to service the debt. And you've seen people kind of give up um, the goose a little bit on this where they say, well, we need to print more money because of it. We, we need to spend more money for the sake of the def deficit. And a lot of people are thinking, well, that doesn't work with my credit card. I can just spend my way out of debt. But they print more money to service the debt. They debase the currency, thereby reducing the debt. And then they keep debt servicing costs down by keeping interest rates down. And then they keep inflation high, reducing the debt. And then they hide that by publishing these fake CPI number reports. And they keep GDP high to keep tax receipts high to service the debt. This is all a giant balancing act. And if all of it isn't done right it's going to tip the scales and we're all going to feel the consequences as many of us already have. But these are the costs of choosing to put Joe Biden in the White House to be your commander in chief to lead the country because you didn't like Donald Trump saying mean things to Kim Jong-un on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's the debt crisis in the United States. We've got an ever-increasing risk of debt crisis continued by currency debasement. And in order to fight it, you're going to need hard assets. You're going to need assets that go up over time. I know I keep, I keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. And yeah, it, it helps to have a lot of cash in a, in a recession where stocks are down. But guys, stocks stocks are down. Could they go down worse? Yeah, maybe. I'm not going to tell you what to do. It's your money. It's your life. Um, I'm going to start to deploy a little bit. Um, but again, I'm in higher risk assets that 
are very volatile that tend to go up really fast. So we'll see, see what happens. But that's it in a nutshell. And uh, let's get to some crazy news because we, we don't have enough crazy news. We have to get to some more crazy news. So let's see about this. Uh, I recently saw this report, uh, gender cards being given out by Seattle pediatricians. So Ari Hoffman shared images of what he said is a gender card being given out by local pediatricians to children in Seattle. In Washington, treatments can be given to minors without parental consent for reproductive health, STDs, substance use, gender dysphoria, gender affirming care, and more. And uh, it literally says gender card. And it's got this diamond pattern with orange, looks like a cutoff half trapezoid or something, and uh, triangles. Now they're, yeah, they're triangles and diamonds. And it says gender card. And then on the back it says, please call me, my gender pronouns are, my gender identity is, circle all that apply, trans woman, trans man, agender, non-binary, genderqueer, questioning, woman, man, fill in the blank. So there's a fill in the blank just in case that's that's not enough. They're giving this to children. Okay. Kids are asked for their sex assigned at birth and then they're asked about their sexual partners. These are kids. Okay. You should not be asking kids about their sexual partners. Finally, they're offered a choice where it comes to either the information can be shared with their parents. So this can be not shared with your parents. I don't know what it is about these creeps. They just keep trying to take the parents away. You know, they they, they, they just keep on trying to isolate the kids from their parents. That's why we call it grooming. I mean, that's one of the first steps in grooming is isolation from the parents, like telling the kid information about sex and sexual partners and gender and stuff that's that you isolate them from their parents don't let the parents know why why are you so scared to not let the parents know um according to a facebook page the gender card is q cards non-binary little sibling created in partnership with seattle children's hospital q card is a communication tool striving to help lgbtq there's no lgbtq youth i'm sorry there's not these kids who are three to five or three to six are not thinking about this unless you're putting these ideas in their head. Um, take charge of their health and talk to their providers about their identities. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> you know, let me, let me, let me just say something here. I'm, I'm a Christian and uh, I understand that people especially in my faith, they want to be nice and stuff. Um, nothing about that is compassionate. And teaching an ideology to kids in which they they think that their bodies are not connected to their minds and that it's some sort of new age Gnosticism in which you can do anything you want to your body, but it's not connected to you. It's just all a bunch of BS. I'm really tired of hearing it. And if somebody really does have a mental disorder where they think that they're in the wrong body or they think that they're not in the right like gender or whatever like i i have empathy for that i mean that must be hell living through that i i have the utmost sympathy for you and i want you to get treatment but 
that is not what's happening here. These little kids are going through gender gender brainwashing and then they start to ask them questions like, well, do you want to go through gender reassignment surgery in which we make you a trans person and we transition you and we pump you full of hormone blocking DNA, well, not DNA altering because you can't alter DNA, but um, just hormone altering drugs and people scream that this is compassionate. Kids are losing their vision and going blind and they are getting brain swelling on their brains from these drugs and from these treatments and you want people want to look me dead in the eye and say this is compassion no it's grooming stop leave the kids alone just that's all i want just leave the leave them alone my libertarian philosophy right my whole political philosophy leave me alone um but yeah protect the kids as adults it's our job you know if we don't nobody else will but anyway that's it's been our show for today man i didn't even get to go and go off on esg or the gun control bill but i've been ranting now for an hour and 15 minutes and it's time for me to end the show anyway guys I hope you guys have enjoyed this. This is a lot of information on GDP debt and a lot of numbers. So I would definitely keep this one in your back pocket. It's definitely going to get one of those little blue check marks because of the Israeli study that I cited from the peer review um, studies over in Israel. And uh, yeah, stay safe out there. If you can, get closer to God. And these times we need to we need to listen to him. We need to obey him. And uh, maybe you just have an inclination towards God. I know this is kind of random, but for some reason I feel led to say it. If you just have an inclination towards God, I would say embrace that. Um, see what you can do to learn more about that because you have that inclination for a reason. It's not just something random. It's you have an inclination towards God for a reason. Please embrace it. For those of you who are out there and you feel like uh, it's a lot of doom and gloom, there's a lot of bad things happening, I would, uh, let me just encourage you that um, there's a God who loves you and wants to know you. And, you know, in hard times, I I rely on God. I don't, I don't understand people who don't. But I would just say that if you're out there, I would say find a community, find a church community, uh, find a good group of godly people. And uh, even if you are an atheist, I, I'd say that you'd find that people from churches are very welcoming. I know people have had bad experience in churches and stuff, but I I think you should give it another chance if you haven't already. Um, I'm sorry if people out there hurt you. That was the church. That was not God. But interesting times we live in and i honestly think we just need to be praying um and getting closer to each other because we're going to be having to rely on each other more and more the harder things get <laughs> watch going off another reminder to wrap up anyway guys thank you for listening to this episode if you ha if you can please give us a five-star review 
We are on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and everywhere you can find your podcasts. But please show some support. Give us a five-star review. Thank you for listening. As always, stay connected. Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> the Conservative Connection. Come on, man. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.